Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Change Healthcare podcast. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I lead electronic prior authorizations here at Change Healthcare. And today we have an exciting topic. We're going to be speaking um, with April Todd about prior authorization and specifically the opportunities, challenges, and outlook. Um, April, before we get started, I think it'd be good to uh, share with the listeners that will be joining us a little bit about your background, uh, what your focus is at CAQH, and what led you to uh, to this role in this very important initiative? Sure. Um, so I uh, lead the core and explorations areas for CAQH, and essentially that means um, putting together business operating roles for the industry and the research functions um, that uh, explorations does. Um, my background getting into this role, I think, is a little interesting. Um, my background is actually in public health. That is my training. Um, and my career, um, I've worked in government, uh, worked for a national health plan um, in the consulting roles and also um, for, techno for a technology company. And in all those spaces, it was trying to pull together um, new and exciting um, things to help support the public health. But one of the things I've learned over the years is that if you can't get operations to work, and you can't get the back-end systems, the stuff that's not so fun, some of the administrative stuff to work, mm -hmm. you can't get anything else to work effectively. And so um, that's why I came to CAQH. Um, one of the main things that we do is try to simplify administrative processes. And so um, that's where I'm solely focused um, right now with prior authorization being our most current um, focus area. Wonderful. Uh, and I, I saw that we're both esteemed alumni of the University of Minnesota. So Sky U Ma, uh, yeah. you must have gone to the Humphrey School uh, doing public health there. So School of Public Health. Yeah. Yep. Wonderful. Well, uh, well, always good to meet a fellow gopher here out in the field. And uh, I feel like our, our, our paths have crossed from the uh, multitude of CAQH core meetings that Change Healthcare has participated in and, and very much look forward to the conversation today. And, and maybe April, could you share a little bit about the role of CAQH Core as an organization and how that dovetails with other industry um, collaborations or uh, other forums that are really focused on promulgating standards uh, within the digital transaction space and, um, and prior authorizations? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so CAQH Core is an initiative of CAQH. Uh, it was developed around 15 years ago um, as an industry um, developed initiative. And really the purpose was to bring together industry stakeholders to help um, further standardize um, administrative processes within the industry um, to help put a business lens on the technology and how standards are used. Um, what had mm -hmm. happened time is that there were um, standards from HIPAA that had been implemented, um, but there was still a lot of variation occurring within the industry and a lot of administrative burden that went with that. And so we were brought together to, um, to help relieve some of that uh, with operating rules and um, over time have come to be engaged uh, with a variety of different industry bodies um, on that, including all the different standards organizations, um, as well as um, HHS, we're the, the designated national operating rule authoring entity, um, and we work very closely with other um, uh, nonprofit in industry organizations like we. Okay, 
Wonderful, wonderful. And um, and I just saw that you had an op-ed that came out in Modern Healthcare very recently. So I think that'd be, uh, we'll probably touch on a lot of those themes, but that, that for us, that's something very good that we can share here uh, with our listeners, with the, with the podcast. Do you want to maybe share what led you to, uh, to pen that op-ed and the response you've seen uh, here in the, I think, probably the last two or three days uh, since it's come out? Yeah, um, you know, really, we wanted to um, uh, put out that op-ed um, to raise awareness about the issue and also raise awareness about the possibility of making this better, um, particularly mm -hmm. around operating rules that um, we recently submitted to NCDHS, and there was a hearing on that last week. Um, really, this is an issue that, that we need to bring awareness to, and I think the response that we have gotten um, since then um, has been very positive and I think has um, uh, particularly for the provider um, part of the industry, um, has mm -hmm. given hope to um, work to relieve um, this issue. I think, you know, with with now um, all the providers dealing with COVID, um, you know, that on top of, you know, what they do in their day to day, um, giving them some um, some hope that some of these things that cause them a lot of stress um, can be better um, has brought a lot of positive response. Wonderful. And I do want to touch on uh, the impact that you think COVID will have in the adoption of these standards as we go through the conversation. I think that's a, you know, a, a worthwhile topic for us. But you also mentioned the NCVHS um, uh, preparatory hearings. And, you know, recently the, the latest AMA update uh, came out and, and shared that over 86% of physicians report that prior authorization burden is, in fact, increasing over the last five years. So how would you describe the current state of prior authorizations? from both the provider perspective as well as the payer. Yeah, so um, so this is a, an area where I'll, I'll start to raise what we do with explorations with the index on our research arm. Um, over the past number of years, we have been uh, tracking um, adoption of um, electronic standards for prior authorization as well as all of the other transactions that occurs within the healthcare industry. and. As compared to every other transaction, um, prior authorization um, is extremely manual. Um, our more, most recent report, it was 13% um, manual within uh, within the industry. So there, there really is a lack of automation uh, that exists here uh, within uh, within the industry. And what we what we see is that there are a lot of reasons for that, which we'll we'll talk about um, on uh, today. But um, you know. It's one of the transactions that doesn't have the highest volumes, um, so it hasn't gotten as much attention in the past as other transactions with higher volumes. Mm -hmm. um, but it is a transaction that has caused um, a heavy amount of stress um, for practitioners. Yeah, that, that's well said. And how do you see alignment happening, uh, or is there potentially a lack of alignment? You, you mentioned Weedy, uh, and I believe CAQH Core um, came together with uh, a unified position. And there are other efforts like HL7's Da Vinci that is really focused on promulgating the use of fire. You know, how do you view? Um, and I think, and I'll, and I'll take a step back and say, I think it's great that there are so many both for-profit and non-profit organizations that are, are focusing on this topic. Um, but with that comes what standards are going to emerge. So how do you view those different diverse stakeholders coming together to really uh, find common ground that can be broadly adopted with those market participants? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so it is, it's absolutely wonderful that, that so many industry organizations are coming together to try to solve um, this issue. And, um, you know, I think what's most important with all 
industry organizations coming together is to collaborate and to find mm -hmm. a way for both um, you know, existing standards as well as emerging technology um, to be able to work together. Um, you know, there, there is a lot of variation in the maturity levels across the industry um, related to prior authorization. You know, in some areas, it's all completely manual. Um, and in others, it's way more electronic, um, where some of the health plans are doing over 70, 80% of their prior authorizations um, electronically. Um, we also have backend systems from providers and that um, are pretty well established and work very well for things like eligibility and claims um, and other things. Mm -hmm. Connecting into those systems is going to be important because they all need to support prior authorization, but also identifying the um, opportunities for new technology to tie into that is going to be important. And that is what we have um, done at CORE is try to pull all of those things together and establish some baseline um, standards um, for prior authorization that can, can establish a starting point uh, and then build from that um, to help support some of the, the newer technologies as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. And what do you, you know, if you're going to use a maturity model, how would you rank the, um, you know, those building blocks? I, I think you've got to have provider systems, electronic health records that can support an electronic exchange. You have to have network connectivity. Payer systems have to be able to receive and, and respond. You know, if you were going to use some sort of maturity model or a scale of one to 10, you know, how would you rank each of those market participants in the maturity and being able to establish? Or, or conversely, is it that really the standards need to be roundly accepted to drive maturity? I mean, how it's a bit of a chicken and the egg, so to speak. And how would you describe the current state of affairs? Um, so the current state of affairs, as I mentioned before, I don't think there's any one particular part of the industry that is more mature than, than the other. Mm -hmm. I think the, the participants within each sector of the industry are at different stages of where they are. Um, in terms of thinking about maturity and the steps that you need to take, um, prior authorization is somewhat of a unique animal because as opposed to most other transactions, it is a transaction that requires the intersection of administrative systems and clinical data. And that's mm -hmm. get really complicated. And that's why this has lagged, in all honesty, many of the other areas. So to bring those things together, you first have to have your kind of your house in order, at least on the administrative or the clinical side, um, before you can kind of start to, to bring them together in, in our perspective. And so um, the, the starting off with the maturity part is making sure that those existing systems can work effectively. And so one of the ways to do that is to make sure that there's common um, data content um, expectations, for example, that that's mm -hmm. a good to start um, because you can't really move to connecting administrative and clinical systems if you don't have the data right, even on the administrative side um, uh, to start there. So um, that's where we're starting to start with base steps and build from that. Okay. And can you, I think it's great that you brought up the, you know, that nexus of the clinical administrative and, and, and uh, you know, the existing standards under HIPAA with the 278 um, are more focused right now on the administrative side. But I know there's some great work happening around um, the 275 standard and, and document attachments. Can you talk a little bit about the work that CAQH is doing in that arena uh, as it pertains to operating rules? Yeah, absolutely. So um, maybe I'll talk about them in, in two batches. So the, the current batch that we had in front of NCBHS was, was three sets of standards, or three sets of operating rules for standards uh, for the 278. The first one was around data content and getting some common expectations around that. 
The second one was around infrastructure, and this is having common expectations around system uptimes, response times, companion guides, um, mm -hmm. processing modes. Uh, the third one was around connectivity and having some more mature connectivity um, uh, provisions around security and authentication um, for prior authorization. So with that as a base, as you mentioned, um, we are also working on um, the next phase of that that will supplement and support um, that, that base level effort on the 278. And that is around operating rules that we are working on for, um, for attachments, um, which could be the 275 as well as using something like the CCDA. Um, so we're looking mm -hmm. at potential of what could be in uh, to support the exchange of medical documentation. But also in addition to that, we are also in the process of working on um, a, uh, another connectivity rule. Um, so a next version connectivity rule that would help with the connections that are needed between administrative and clinical data. So that means bringing in those connections um, that could be supported by REST and by APIs um, to help um, bring in some newer technology to make those connections between administrative um, and clinical work more effectively. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. And I think that, that speaks to, I think, industry alignment when, when you look at the, the different efforts that are underway. I, you know, I view that as really that, uh, you know, that being that point where paths start converging and how the standards can start to work together to really um, manage the back and forth traffic, but also get that rich exchange of data. Um, and, and so I also wanted to just dig in a little bit around some of the empirical research that CAQH has done to quantify the cost of manual transactions versus automated transactions, because um, as we all know in healthcare, uh, being able to reduce costs, specifically when it's coming to things at a, at a national or federal level, having that empirical data is important. Can you, so can you talk a little bit about um, how those surveys were conducted and what the information showed in terms of the current state of costs and how those costs have um, have kind of uh, evolved over time and where you see that research going? Because I, I think that's such such great and powerful information. I see it uh, being uh, cited uh, almost on a daily basis right now, which I think is a, is a, a tribute to the work that you all are doing. Yeah, so the CQH index, uh, we have done that for a number of years. I think we're in our seventh or eighth year now um, of, of doing the index. And um, what the index has done is to um, survey the industry on their uh, experience with a multitude of transactions. And so this includes uh, surveying both health plans and providers um, about their experience with prior authorization, in addition to a whole host of other transactions, including eligibility and claims, Mm -hmm. um, a whole host of other things. Um, and what we do when we um, survey their experience is we're asking them some very specific questions. So we are asking them to share with us the volume of the transactions that um, they are seeing um, on a routine basis and looking at how those transactions, the volume of those transactions are being conducted. So are they being done manually? And manually means um, using phone, fax, um, mail processes to um, to conduct those if they're being done electronically using the HIPAA standard or some partial electronic methods such as a web portal or an IVR system. Um, so we ask for them to delineate um, the volume across those three modes of transmission. And then we are also asking them um, to share with us how much it costs for them to uh, submit these transactions, um, both submit and receive. Um, and then we also ask our providers to share with us um, how much time it takes them to, um, 
to conduct these transactions on all of those three different modes. So based on, on that research, um, our most current estimates are showing um, uh, that a electronic transaction um, is $12.13 less per uh, 31 cents per transaction than um, a, uh, a manual transaction. And you have a uh, savings of 17 minutes between an electronic and a manual transaction. And so mm -hmm. that's, that ends up being pretty significant for a provider. Um, and over time, we have just seen um, those costs and that time increase um, as, um, and we, you know, speculate that the reason for that time and uh, cost uh, going up is that as, as healthcare becomes more complicated and we have more treatments and um, more services that are offered within the healthcare industry, um, there's just, there are more things that are, that are being checked and more information to be shared. Sure. And so would you characterize that, that financial estimate? I, I think I heard you say that that's the, the, the time associated with submission and we've seen other industry estimates come out up to 25 billion a year in unnecessary costs with prior authorization. I believe that that citation comes from the AMA where they looked at the total number of physicians, the amount of time to submit an off and average physician pay. So would you describe, would you describe the, the estimate as really the, the tip of the iceberg, so to speak, or how do we think about um, hundreds of millions of dollars of savings opportunity versus, um, tens of billions of dollars and kind of where, where in the spectrum do you think the total cost uh, fits in there? Yeah, so what we measure in the index is specifically the time spent to submit the authorization for prior auth. Um, it is for doing the transaction itself. It does not include um, the time spent to gather documentation, um, the delays spent, um, associated associated with that working with the physician to get the follow-up visit for the patient you know it doesn't include mm -hmm. all that time i'm um, an expense there it is really to your point it, it is the tip of the iceberg in that it is just the transaction um itself um not all of the work that goes around um that transaction mm -hmm. okay great and i think that's a really helpful clarification because it really means that the opportunity is is even larger and it's already a, a pretty strong opportunity. And, and I think an ROI for both the payer and provider organizations and realistically the patient, when you think about the delays in care that they receive um, uh, that's related to either a prior off denial or long turnaround time. So uh, it, it's one of those, those areas, as I think of, of Michael Porter's zero sum uh, healthcare analogies, you know, this is really one of those examples where the cost savings administered by one are really born on the other. And, uh, and, and there are very few areas where you can really achieve the triple aim. And I think, I think prior authorization is, is definitely one of those uh, lofty goals all, that is worth pursuit by all of us. Um, you know, and to that end, what can organizations do to help move the needle forward? I know there's industry uh, forums that change healthcare to, is, a, is a leader in, uh, like Weedy, uh, like CAQH, like DaVinci. Um, but what really, you know, if you look at providers, you look at payers and you look at vendors, you know, what can each of those uh, uh, participants do to really help evolve and push forward to this new modern world of prior authorization? That's a great question. Um, and I think, you know, at a high level, I think um, having the industry participate in these forums is extremely helpful. 
because it's hard for us to think through solutions if we don't have people engaged and talk about their experience mm -hmm. and it is that is creating a barrier. Um, but I think, you know, if you look about each of the different industry sectors and, and what it is they can do, I think, you know, what we would like people to do are things that help to address those big barriers that, that we have heard. Um, so, you know, there's, there's always, you know, people talk about, you know, getting things mandated. And that was the purpose of the NCBHS hearing last week. I think we all think if something is mandated, it will help. Um, but even beyond that, um, there are things that, that folks can be doing to, to help um, with adoption and to help move this process forward. Um, so, for example, um, from a provider perspective, one of the things that we hear from providers is that, you know, they're, um, that there's not that much value in the 278 because they haven't gotten data from it um, and that it just mm -hmm. takes long. Uh, it can take up to 15 days to, to get a response um, for them. Um, and there's also just a lack of knowledge of um, the 278 as well. So things that can be done, I think, on the on the provider side is to help with that education and outreach, and also um, for providers to request um, and demand that those um, organizations that they work with adopt the operating rules and adopt those additional standards, so that the data that they're getting from the 278 is valuable to them. Um, mm -hmm. I think you know the other thing on the on the health plan side, um, you know, there are some things they can do as well. Um, in addition to uh, you know, adopting the operating rules and submitting um, more detailed information um, and doing that within um, uh, timeframes that um, that we've established within the operating rule as well um, will help the health plans um, bring in providers to um, more providers to use uh, the 278 because they know they will get a timely response. And then on the vendor side, you know, um, one of the major things that we've heard both from health plans and from providers is that there's just a lack of uh, vendors offering solutions um, in this space. And, um, you know, this is where I think you've mentioned kind of the chicken and the egg a little bit um, from mm -hmm. the vendor perspective is, you know, do you put something out in the market and generate demand or do you respond to demand in the market? And I think this is one of those areas where um, it would be great to see vendors come out into the market um, with these solutions and, and adopt um, the standards and the operating rules um, to help support that so that, you know, we really, it would be great to have all of the sectors of the industry coming together with um, opportunities and ways to drive demand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit of, of the line from Field of Dreams is if you build it, they will come. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and I agree, and, and, you know, on the change healthcare side, We've, uh, you know, we've had conversations with with CAQH around how to participate in pilot programs, uh, knowing that there's a construct where CAQH will help uh, conduct the uh, the key performance metrics uh, creation and evaluation with those uh, with those projects. And I think there's other uh, strong opportunities with Medicare's DRLS uh, and the Da Vinci pilots as well. And and I I, I am excited to, to see. Um, a lot of those initiatives happening, but I, I would also tend to agree that uh, that it's not broad scale commercial availability. Uh, it's worth noting at Change Healthcare where we've really started in the prior off uh, automation has been uh, focused on the inpatient side with level of care, where the current model is really using a 278 for a notice of admission. Um, and within our interqual um, business unit, we enjoy really what we call connected ecosystems where payers and providers use uh, evidence-based guidelines to uh, to manage the level of care. And um, and by leveraging some of the standards of CAQH, we're focusing on marrying up that clinical and administrative data to move the 
inpatient admission uh, approval and authorization to more of an exception-based process. And I, I think anytime we can achieve even modest levels of automation, it frees up resources, uh, valuable healthcare uh, providers' time to be focusing on really the exception in more complex cases. And so, um, so I'm excited about that movement, and I'm, I'm excited to see uh, what some of those uh, what those pilot projects are doing and bearing fruit because it really helps. Uh, I think vendors as well as payers and providers realize that the investment is is worth their time for for everybody that's involved. I agree, and we're we're very excited about some of the pilot work that that we are doing to help the industry develop early ROI to drive that additional demand and drive those additional opportunities. So we've started with prior authorization, um, but anticipate um, using these uh, this pilot structure um, for the other rules that we that we develop as well. Um, and mm -hmm. I think. You know, in our very first um, pilot that we were able to um, report at NCBHS last week, there's there's pretty significant um, savings in time um, around, you know, 80% reduction um, in some of our mm -hmm. initial pilot results in terms of time savings. Um, and I think, you know, we are we are looking forward to doing more of this. It's a little challenging with COVID as, um, you know, the, the healthcare delivery mm -hmm. system right now but um but we look forward to continuing to do that work and look forward to to working with um with change healthcare on um on those uh, opportunities as well absolutely and I'm, I'm glad you 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 mentioned covid which i don't think uh, a conversation goes by in healthcare today without uh without mentioning that uh what we saw across the industry especially as covid was ramping up in late q1 early calendar q2 is a lot of holds or stays put on prior authorization policies um, across a whole spectrum of clinical services and extending the, the window of, of review. Uh, you know, if we sit here and we're, we're, we're the Monday morning quarterbacks or we're reading the tea leaves, you know, how do you view uh, COVID changing the way authorization is, is viewed and utilized by the industry? Is it, is it an accelerant or do you think that we go back to the, the status quo? I would hope that it's an accelerant. Um, I think you know what we've seen from COVID is is the challenges that that happen in the healthcare system when um, when we have it when we have a pandemic or when we have a huge challenge that puts a lot of pressure um, on our healthcare system. Anything that we can do to automate um, part of that system to free up time for patient care is tremendously important. Um, so I hope that's one of the things that comes um, from COVID is a, a renewed um, emphasis and push on reducing as much of that administrative burden as possible. Um, you know, to your point, uh, prior authorizations definitely um, almost, you know, went down significantly. Um, we're at various bits mm -hmm. um, in the initial part of COVID and, and some of that continues today as well. Um, but when you think about, you know, the reason that prior authorization exists, um, you know, it's it's not just there to you know reduce costs and, and to manage um, and to manage utilization. It, it is there as a patient um, protection as well, um, and to make sure that you know unnecessary tests are not being done, um, and that a patient is not you know getting a treatment that might be harmful to them based on what the health plan might know from the past. So um, you know, don't see prior authorization going away. Um, and we just we need to take this opportunity to find a way to to make it better um, so that we can improve uh, the patient experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what do you what do you envision that future looking like? Um, you know, is it something where, you know, do we achieve 
full automation in a, a certain time period or do we get on par with things like eligibility or um, are there certain things we can take out of the uh, e-prescribing uh, playbook that that has been seen? You know, where where do you see us going? Uh, what do you view the future looking like? And you know, as we as as past is a great prediction of the future, where can we look at positive examples that we can model uh, these initiatives around? Yeah. So um, I'd like to say we could flip a switch and it would all be <laughs> it would all be fixed in in a year and and we would be up at the levels of automation that we have for eligibility and, and claims. Um, but uh, to your point, our experience has shown that it does take some time um, to do that ramp up. Um, and so we would anticipate that you know it will take some time. We're not going to see a drastic increase in one or two years. It is gonna it will take a number of years um, to mm -hmm. get do that. Um, but we've also seen, um, you know, some of the information we also shared at NCBHS last week is just some of the um, drastic improvement that you that you can see um, uh, with organizations. So um, one of the things that CORE does is we uh, have a certification program where organizations can come in and test their systems and essentially demonstrate to the industry that um, that they're conformant um, with the standards and the operating rules. And um, you know, we have some examples from eligibility and claim status um, where organizations that have done that have seen an improvement in automation of, of 30 to 40 percent um, within a one year period. So um, so I do think that can help happen at, at some organization levels to see that. Um, but writ large within the industry, so the broad swath of the industry, um, it will take some time, um, but we're not going to get anywhere if we don't if we don't start. So you're telling me there is not a silver bullet. I know I don't generally believe in silver bullets. <laughs> <laughs> Nor do I. I agree. It's going to take a lot of hard work, and and I think you you talked about a lot of great things there. You know, you could liken it to an ISO 9000 certification using the CAQH core certification as as a process improvement to show alignment with those ideals and demonstrate that ROI. And I think by having more and more of those sterling examples that get shared with ONC, with NCBHS um, at a federal level, but also pragmatically at a local level, it, it is going to take a little bit, I, I think, as I, as I look ahead, um, you know, pushing at, at a legislative and a federal side, but also making sure that all of us um, at the coalface are really, uh, really demonstrating those values and, and moving things forward. So I know we're here just at uh, at the end of time, April. This is a, a fantastic conversation. I know I learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners will as well. Um, are there any parting thoughts that you want to share with the group uh, or things that, that we should be looking for um, coming out with CAQH here in the in the near future? Yeah, well, uh, th first, thank you for having me on today. And I guess a, a few a few parting things um, would be um, that one, you know, we encourage the industry to get engaged. Um, and to continue to be involved in this issue. Um, I would encourage people to, um, to learn about the new operating rules that are out on, on the market and how they can help uh, the industry, both from a data content and response timeframe and connectivity perspective. Um, and then also encourage folks to, um, to get engaged and, um, and to uh, pay attention to what we're doing with some of the new rules as well um, that are coming related to sharing medical documentation and um, and the new connectivity rules and um, how they can get engaged to help um, bring those uh, to the industry as well. And then uh, one last uh, plug 
um, which uh, is related to the index. We actually have our current index uh, out in the field right now to plans and providers. And um, to really help us understand what the barriers are and what's happening in the industry, it's really important for people to participate um, in that survey. And so um, we have our um, closeout happening in September to bring in that information. So just really encourage people to uh, submit in their information for that. Absolutely, I second that because it's that valuable information that uh, that all of us um, have access to and are able to read and, and refine and, and keep moving forward. So uh, I would, I definitely will uh, will support that call to action. Well, thanks, April, for taking the time to chat with us about prior authorizations, the opportunities, the challenges, and the outlook. For our listeners, don't forget to check out the show notes and for links to resources and contact information related to today's show. Uh, and stay tuned to the Change Healthcare podcast for more shows covering electronic prior authorization and other topics that you care about. Uh, and definitely don't hesitate to contact Change Healthcare to learn more about what we're doing to uh, help support the industry and drive future value with automating uh, this very topical area. Uh, so thanks again and appreciate everybody's time today. You've been listening to the Change Healthcare podcast. For more information on this and other healthcare IT topics, please visit changehealthcare.com. Don't forget to check the show notes for useful links to related resources and our contact information. Thanks for listening and have a great day.